Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 701st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from Urban Farm U. I'm here with Kari Spencer with the Microfarm Project. Hello, Kari. Hi. Kari is an amazing author. You've written two books now, right? At least. Yeah, well, it depends if you, I mean, I wrote a couple of books for you back in the day. Oh, yes, you did. At least one, the compost book. The compost book. That's true. We have a little mini book on composting. And then you have your city farm book. That was a farming book. Yeah. That was a magical project and process. Tell us how that happened. Well, I just uh, got an email one day from a company in England, actually, Mm -hmm. asking me if I'd write a book for them. Wow. Let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> nice. And then you have a wonderful journal that you put out. What about maybe a year ago? Oh, uh, yeah. A year ago. That's right. Yep. And I got another book coming out at the end of this year. What? Yes. A permaculture book. Really? Okay. I did not know this. Tell me about it. It's a beginner's guide to permaculture. Uh huh. And yeah, it should be coming out November or December. Not sure exactly when. So like in the next 60 days. Yeah. Wow. How cool. Who'd you write that one for? Callisto Media. Oh, good answer. Awesome. We like them. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, awesome. So there is tonight we're talking about seed starting, and there is nothing more satisfying than jumping into the garden season by starting seeds in flats or in the ground. What do we need to know to be successful? That's a very good question. Soil composition, temperature, moisture, and light all determine whether we are jumping for joy from our efforts or crying in despair. Let's just jump in. So I'm going to guess that maybe, I might be wrong, we're going to start with soil. Well, yes, but let's start with actually deciding whether you want to start your seeds in the ground or in a flat. Oh, very good. <laughs> right? All right. So the, what's the... It's different soil. Right. In, in each case. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, there are some seeds that I really like to start just direct, just direct sow them right in the garden. Mm-hmm. Right. Things that grow real fast. Mm-hmm. 
beans, peas, squash, melons, those kinds of things. I just like to just put those right in the ground. Corn, you know, there are a number number of things, but then there are some things that take a lot longer. And here in Phoenix, our seasons change real fast. Mm -hmm. So if, if I have to start them kind of out of season to get them ready to be uh, put transplants in the ground at a certain time, then I start those indoors and tomatoes are the one that always comes, comes to mind for me because that's really one of the only, only transplants that, that I do these days, but. Really? So you put your brassicas in the ground? I, well, let's just say I cheat there. Sometimes I get those from growers around here that I like because I only have so much space, you know, for starting things. So, yeah. So, um, but yeah, tomatoes, I like to, to start. And, you know, if you're going to start a seed indoors, or to create your own transplants, mm-hmm. then you need to start with a sterile soil. Ah. Right? Yeah, you don't want to go out in your backyard necessarily and grab soil and put it in your little seed starting containers because seeds, when when you start them, those little babies, uh-huh. they are really susceptible to fungus, you know, mildew and other disease pathogens. And in a flat, if something decides that it's going to grow, a germ wants to grow, it has mm-hmm. no competition, right? So oh, it'll right. just take over your your flats and then your poor little seedlings won't, won't thrive, likely. Yeah. Great. So in flats, give us a maybe a recipe for soil for the flats. Okay, well, you can do it one of two ways. You can just go and buy a sterile seed starting mix Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at your local nursery. And, you know, when it comes out of the bag, then it should be sterile. But sometimes I like to reuse those. So maybe I'll add, you know, some compost to the mix, or maybe I want to make my own, in which case I would mix a little bit of compost and some perlite, not perlite. Well, yeah, perlite. Vermiculite, vermiculite, mix those together in roughly equal parts. But then if you're going to use compost, you got to sterilize it. I was going to say, if you're putting compost in there, it's no longer sterile. Yeah. So you'll want to Google that. How do I sterilize it? Because there are a number of ways to do that. You can do it in your oven, (laughs) right? If you live in Phoenix, maybe you could just put it out in the sun (laughs) for a while. (laughs) Right. Right. But some people don't even use any kind of soil. They just use the perlite, vermiculite, uh, maybe some cocoa coir, and they create all kinds of different mixes. So, you know, there's there's not one way to do it as long as it's sterile. Right. What is cocoa coir or cocoa peat? Okay. Cocoa coir, peat, cocoa peat, they're the, they're the same thing. And they're ground up coconut husks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they're really sustainable because it's just something that gets thrown away when, when they harvest coconut right? and it gets ground up fine and it's, it makes a wonderful soil amendment and it is good in creating a seed starting mix. Got it. And so that's a, that's called a soilless medium. Yes. That mean there's no dirt in it, right? Correct. And I guess comp- having compost in there would make it not a soilless medium. Right, because compost is 
considered like soil. a soil. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or worm casting. So if you're going to do that, you definitely want to sterilize it. If you want to be for sure, I would probably even sterilize the stuff you get in the bag, right? If you want to be for sure. Yeah. Because on occasion, something will get in there. Yeah. And sterilizing looks like what you mentioned the oven. So what if you were going to sterilize a bag full of or some soil, what would that look like? I can never remember exactly how to do it off the top of my head. Uh, so, so, you know, take this with an ounce of, <laughs> of your own research, right? Uh-huh. But you, you can put it, you can put your soil in a cake pan in the oven and put it at, you know, uh, 180 and put your soil in there for maybe 30 minutes or so. You don't mm-hmm. want to get it too hot. Like you don't want the soil to actually reach 180 degrees because mm. then you're killing all the good stuff too. But it, you can put it in till it reaches maybe 140. But don't, mm. again, don't quote me on that. Okay. You don't want to, yeah, just Google it and verify that. But yeah, you can definitely use your oven. All right. And so then now we have this soilless medium and we have a little tray. I, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to make sure that the soil is hydrated. Yeah, you want to get your soil wet. And, you know, if you're going to create your own soil mix, mm-hmm. mix it before you get it wet because it gets it gets quite heavy. And oh, it may right. not matter if you're just make you know, doing a little seed trays worth. But if you're doing a lot, yeah, you want to make sure that you mix it beforehand and get it wet and it will likely take more moisture than you think it's going to (laughs) to get it wet because cocoa coir, peat, even vermiculite, they are a little bit hydrophobic. And so it takes a while for them to absorb that moisture. So, you know, it it takes a little patience and some stirring to make sure that you're getting it wet enough. And, you know, once you get it all wet, then you can put it in your seed tray. Make sure your seed trays are also sterile. Oh, yes. Especially if you're reusing them from a previous year. You could probably just put them in 120 degree water in the sink and wash them, right? You could wash them. You could use hydrogen peroxide, spray it Mm -hmm. on there, you know, in a spray Mm -hmm. bottle. That would, that works. But, or you could do a 5% bleach solution if you wanted to dunk them in there yeah yeah and then make sure they're dry before you put your soil in because you know you don't want that you don't want the you want the bleach to make make sure it evaporates before you bleach or or, yeah if you're using bleach yeah if you're using it and if you're using bleach i'd probably what use three percent bleach and i I would use about a five percent but i i never really exact on, right on that yeah so. yeah people people ask me about the, the foliar feeding and janice has got the foliar feeding down i take a five gallon bucket I, I grab the foliar jar i do like one two of all four of them and then i just use that so i completely yeah. understand that a glug right or a, a glug yeah two or glugs a, exactly yeah so we will be taking questions here in a little while please put them in the q a box down at the bottom right that would be great So another important piece of this is making sure that you plant the right seeds for the right season, because we can't depend on nurseries to sell us the right plants, can we? No, not necessarily. And some are better than others, but you Mm -hmm. want to make sure that you have a planting calendar for your region, 
Yeah. And so that you know what you're, you know, what is appropriate to plant, especially if you're direct sowing. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're doing it inside, then you have a little more leeway. But if mm-hmm. you're planning them right outside, then you need to be more exact. Well, why would somebody start in trays indoors? Well, you know, if if for things that take a long time and you mm-hmm. want to give them a head start, you can start them indoors. Or if you are doing succession planting, so maybe you want to plant some some things outside, but then as soon as you're getting ready to harvest those, you want to be able to put some more in and get a second harvest. Mm-hmm. You might want to have some transplants ready because then they have a head start to finish out the season. Yeah, there's so succession planting. That's planting lettuce every two weeks. So you have a good supply through the entire season. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And we talk about that in the fruit tree program as well. You plant peaches that ripen in Phoenix in May and in June and in late June. So we get, you know, like two months of peaches rather than, you know, all the peaches on one tree. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I like to put a transplant in with a seed in between the transplants. Oh, that's that a great idea. My transplants have a head start and they grow. And then when they're harvested, then the seeds are coming up. That especially works for things like lettuces. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work as well for squash and melons because transplants for squash and melons, for some reason, for me, I don't know about you, they stall out. They they go into shock and they just sort of don't do anything for a while and the seeds catch up (laughs) with the transplants. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, often seeded things in the yard or volunteers even do a lot better than transplants. Sure, because when you transplant them, that's stress. Every time you you're moving it, moving the plants around. So, yeah, anything I can just put directly in the ground, I prefer to do it that way. Tess has a question. Maybe I'm. A, she says, "Why am I sterilizing the soils in which I'm starting seeds?" Washing and sterilizing the pots I grasp, but not the soils. Great question, Tess. Okay, so if you're putting a seed in the ground in the soil outside or, you know, in your, in your garden, anywhere, wherever mm-hmm. it is, there's more competition for, for resources. So let's say a fungus starts to grow in your garden. There might be other fungi that come in that are beneficial fungi mm-hmm. who can mm-hmm. crowd that out and mm-hmm. e- and eventually you know make it so that it's not a, so much of a problem but if you're putting it in a seed flat and a pathogen starts to grow there might not be competition for it got it yeah so you, uh, one of the things is called damping off i believe right yeah damping off is when your little seedlings start to grow and it's so exciting and then they just sort of seem to melt away. It's like they never were there. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, problem. a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> and it's caused by, you know, a germ of pathogen getting into your, and I can't remember what it's called, but it gets into your seed flats and yeah. it has no competition. So it just does what it wants. Well, I, li- I like starting, generally, I like starting the smaller seeds in flats. So brassicas and well, that that's not completely true because uh, carrots are small seeds, but I direct plant them. So how do you 
I mean, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but how do you decipher which seeds you're going to plant in the ground and which ones you're going to start in flats? Well, to some degree, it's just what is your end game? Are you wanting to do some succession planting? Are you, Mm -hmm. you know, are you just wanting to get head start on the season? But then there are things to think about, like, like I mentioned, squash and melons. I don't find too much of a reason for starting transplants for those because they grow so well and so quickly. But like you said, little seeds like the broccoli and, you know, other brassicas, sometimes we want to start those in a seed flat just because they are a little bit harder to plant and space. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, garden. right, exactly. Uh-huh. And sometimes they need specific, some things need specific temperatures. So mm-hmm. if, you know, if you want to keep it cool enough or warm enough to sprout, then you might need to start something indoors. A lot of seeds like, what, like mid-70s? Oh, right. For their sprouting temperature, but you have to look it up, whatever you're growing, because some of them are different. Like some cool season vegetables actually like warmth for sprouting. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, it can be a little bit challenging to know that if when you first get started, but thankfully we have resources to just look it up. What is the temperature this thing needs? Right. Thank you, Google. Search. Thank you, search engines. Sure. And sometimes the seed packet will tell you too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the reasons to start seeds inside, like you said, with tomatoes is if you're starting tomatoes outside in Phoenix, it needs to be March 1st when you seed them in maybe. Yeah, at least because at least. they, yeah, they don't do well with cold temperatures. Right. Yeah. At- and But they need very specific temperatures to flower. You know, they're kind of finicky. Exactly. Well, and that's what the one of the reasons to start tomatoes inside is because you can literally start them around Christmas time so that when it's time to put them out on March mm-hmm. 1st, or you might even go February 15th in, in the low desert, that is a yeah. low desert thing. You have right. to get a planting calendar for your area because where I'm at now in Asheville, it's more like May 1st that we put tomatoes out. Yes. So yes. You get your planting calendar, go go to the search engine and search for the name of your town and planting calendar and download your planting calendar. But you can get a serious jump start on tomatoes and peppers and you know and those kinds of things if you start them inside or in a greenhouse, you know, in six weeks, eight weeks before they're supposed to go out. Yeah. And if in your region, if you're not sure what plants gardeners commonly start indoors, mm-hmm. then I would you know, contact your master gardeners or get to know a local gardener and ask. Oh my gosh. I, you know, Stacy Murphy always does her superfood summit every May. And I was in the superfood summit this May. And I said, I just recently moved to Asheville. And this woman reached out to me via the website and said, you know, I live in Asheville. Where do you live? And so we started comparing notes and literally she is eight blocks away from me. And we have gotten together and she has gardening friends here in the neighborhood. So literally we've gotten together three or four times and talked gardening. So find people in your neighborhood and, you know, and collaborate with them. In fact, her name is Sunny and Sunny and Polly and Kim 
and their spouses. We're all going to build some tunnel greenhouses here uh, in the next couple of months so that we have a greenhouse space here, both here at our space and at Polly's and Sunny's house. So that's awesome. See, gardeners a lot of times are just willing to to share like that. Yeah, just let's jump in for sure. Amy wants to know what causes inside growth from seeds to get leggy. Some have gotten long stems and start to die. Do you know what that's called, Kari? The the legginess? Yeah. What it's called? Yeah. I do know that the I the words escaping me where the leaves are really far apart. Etoilation. There you go. It's called etoilation. <laughs> that I learned that in my botany degree at AS at ASU 22 years ago. Yeah, but you know, we just call it legginess for <laughs> conversation purposes. Right? <laughs> All right. right. So So what causes it? Well, it can be caused. The number one thing is it's not, they're not getting enough light. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can get them some more light indoors, sometimes you can add grow lights, but really natural light is better. So if you can put Mm -hmm. them in a sunny window, maybe put a mirror behind them or a piece of cardboard with foil covering mm-hmm. it or um or you know the in the a mylar balloon after it pop you know after it oh yeah, yeah, yeah deflates exactly. save that stuff it's reflective and you can put it behind your plants and get some light bouncing around maybe you want to take them outside during the day if it's warm enough and just for a little while get them a little light and then bring them back in if it's getting mm-hmm. too cold at night and uh, yeah, they, they might need some some extra light, most likely. Got it. Tess has an interesting question that I suspect we don't have an answer to, but I got to throw it out there. She says, have you found whether seeds respond differently to central heat versus wood burning stove versus steam heat? I would suspect if you had steam heat, that would put more moisture in the air. Yeah, so that would I would it, guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Know the answer to that. but. Yeah, Great question. I, yeah, central Experiment heat can be it. very, very drying. So mm-hmm. if you're using a lot of central heat, you'll probably have to get those seeds moist with a spray bottle more often than you right? would with, with yeah. steam heat. That's a really great tool to use with a, is a spray bottle as well to water and just keep it moist daily. Yeah, you want to keep them moist, but not dripping wet. Right. So a spray bottle can be really helpful because you can mist the soil. You don't have to get water way down into the soil because your little seed, the roots are start off really tiny. So you just mm-hmm. mainly the surface of the soil needs to stay damp, but you don't want it to be soggy all the time because then those fun, fungi that we were talking about can yeah. start to grow. All right, so we have a tray, we have soil in it, we have seeds in it. What happens next? Okay, so you've let me back up just a tiny bit. You put you put your soil in. Make sure that you, if you're using those square trays, that the corners. Make sure you pack soil into mm. the corners because when you start getting it damp, sometimes those corners will sink, and then your seed might float over into the corner, and then your plant will be right up against the edges. <laughs> All right. All right. So make sure it's nice and flat and that the corners are firmed in. And then you cover your seeds with about the same depth of soil as the longest side of the seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
you know, if you're starting lettuces, you might just want to sprinkle a little soil or some vermiculite over the top of them, you know, because the seeds are so tiny. So once everything's planted out, then you want to get the soil or the soil less mix mm-hmm. wet. You want to keep it about as damp as a wrung out sponge. So it's not dripping wet, but there is some moisture in there for the seeds because your seeds actually have to absorb as much moisture as they can before they sprout. If they start to absorb moisture and then they dry out and then they absorb moisture and then they dry out, eventually they will just give up and they might not sprout at at all. So you you do want to keep it damp, but like I said, it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be real soggy. Mm-hmm. Just when you can also put, if you're starting in the winter, you can, don't they have heat maps, mats that you can put down, put the plants on top of them. And that helps a lot too, right? Sure. Yeah. If, if it's cool or cold where you're putting your, your plants and you want to keep them a little warmer, you can buy seed mats. Sometimes people will use heating pads, but those might get a little, might get too hot. Mm, the seed right. mats yeah. are their temperatures are very regulated mm-hmm. and they're made for starting seeds. So they're, they're, they're good for that. You can put those under and you can water from the bottom. If you want to, mm-hmm. you don't have to get the whole soil wet though, to start a seed, but some people prefer to put their seed trays in a, in tub. a tub mm-hmm. with some water, let them absorb moisture and then take them out and let them drain and then you know let the soil dry out some and then repeat and keep repeating that until your seeds sprout i prefer to do that kind of after my seeds have already started to sprout and they're starting to get some root mm-hmm. yeah then i start soaking them from the bottom i start off with the, the spray bottle and Perfect. then move, move to watering them from below. Jewel wants to know, can you start germination of your seeds in a paper towel and transplant them either to a tray or direct in the ground? Yes, you, yeah. you can. It's another step, though. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's another step. And every time you move those seeds, <laughs> there's, you know, they get stressed. So if you can just put them in the tray, that might be the best thing that you can do. Great. So then we need to get them enough light so they're not e-toilating. They're not getting long and leggy. So they need to get enough light. And at some point, they're going to be ready to go in the ground. When is your indication that it's time to get them from the tray in the ground? Okay. Well, there's a couple of things. One is this: the starts need to have enough root to transplant. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you, you know, if you can turn your little transplant container over mm-hmm. and pull the transplant out just a little bit and see if you can see root and you need to have enough root to hold the soil together, then that's good. Then, you know, if you have enough root, but if you did them all in one big tray, then that's more challenging. You kind of have to move a little soil around and see how much root there is. I've always thought that half, half a toilet paper roll would be a great thing to start a seed in because then you can just drop the thing right in the ground. And people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cool. All right. So let's jump into the other side of this equation, and that's planting directly in the ground. And, you know, I've always heard that the, you know, planting them the depth of the seed. So if you have a teeny seed that's, you know, maybe a 
16th of an inch tall, it needs to go a 16th of an inch un- under. What I found sometimes in Phoenix was that the birds got the seeds. And so one of my solutions was to, like for, for the bigger seeds, I'd put a corn seed or a bean seed down three inches. And so what the birds are after is the seed. So by the time that it came up, it was an established plant and it'll, it'll come up that far. Now you wouldn't want to put a, a brassica seed down that far. I wouldn't think. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that your method of putting them a little extra deep is great. Mm-hmm. Just don't put them too deep because they have to have enough energy to get, you know, to get all the way up to the top of the soil. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, a little, a little extra deep. Sure. But some seeds need light to germinate. like lettuce seeds for instance they need light so if you bury them too deep and they don't get light then they're not they they don't germinate so you know you can look up what does my seed need (laughs) to know but you also have another method that you do don't you with a bed sheet oh yes my bed sheet solution i save old bed sheets i plant out my entire garden and then I put the bed sheet on the garden and I leave it on the garden until the plants are poking, you know, you could, they'll start coming up. They're not going to go through it, but they'll push it up. So, you know, maybe three, two to four weeks. And that's another great, great way to get it, get it going as well. Yeah. And light should penetrate a sheet, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, a brilliant solution. <laughs> well, thanks. I don't know where I get, maybe I made that one up. Tess wants to know, do all seeds require a transition period while still in the trays from indoor growing time before actually transferring them out to the garden? That is called hardening off. Can you talk about that? Great, great question, Tess. Thank you for that. Yeah, what she's asking about hardening off is when you take seeds from indoors and they've been babied and protected, or even if you bought them at a nursery and they're you know, you've got your transplants that have been babied at the nursery, (laughs) then you take them out in your yard and plant them out. And suddenly they're just, they're in a whole new environment Mm -hmm. and they're not as babied as they were. All right. So hardening off is getting them tough, (laughs) getting them them adjusted to their new environment. Uh So you can do that by taking your transplants out to the area where you're going to plant them and put them in that area, but don't, don't transplant them yet. Just let them be out there in the transplant containers and maybe for a few hours and then bring them in. And then the next day, maybe take them out a little longer and do that over a period of three, four days. Some people do it longer than that even. But for me, usually, you know, just a few days works. And then you transplant them. And if they have done, if they've done well in the area where you're considering transplanting them, then that's great. But sometimes I've put a transplant out in an area and it just, no matter how many days I tried to get it used to the area, it would wilt, you know, before, mm-hmm. before I brought it in and I have to bring it in real quick. Right. So in that case, maybe that wasn't the best spot. 
for that plant. So it also can give you a clue in advance of whether that plant is going to do well where you want to plant it. Got it. Excellent. Excellent. Donna says, I love Stacy's summits. Yeah, Stacy does a really good job of her summits. Abby says, I started using a wash bottle with a spout. For me, life-changing to get the plants watered. It's it's hard sometimes to water them, especially if the seeds are really small and you use you know a watering jug and it disturbs the soil. That's why I like the spray bottles. Yeah, then you don't wash your seed away or you know, dig it up accidentally with water. <laughs> exactly. And Tess says, yeah, I saw the toilet paper thing on Pinterest and have started saving mine again. Might as well. It's a second use for these things. Judith says, is the fence in the background keeping the dog from chasing the neighborhood wildlife? Well, okay. So if you're talking about the picture in behind me, that is snow fencing. And this was the backyard at the urban farm when I was in Phoenix. And that was to keep the chickens away from the gardens. But now I bought snow fencing here in Asheville. And yes, it is for keeping the dog away from chasing the wildlife. Because she saw, Kismet saw a possum uh, right after we got here. And she went nuts. I had her on a lead, so she couldn't chase her. But man, she would have been after that possum in no time. So snow fencing is, for those of you that can't see the picture in back of me because you're listening on the podcast. Snow fencing is a wire and wood slat fencing that's fairly inexpensive. And when I moved here to Asheville, I actually brought with me the metal stakes, you know, like five foot long metal stakes. I brought them with me because I knew I'd need a fence for the backyard to keep the dog in. So there you go. Any final thoughts? And while people think about any final questions they have for us, you have any final thoughts, Kari? Yeah, I just want to encourage people to to give it a try, but don't be too discouraged if something happens. Damping mm-hmm. off still happens to me. Right? <laughs> because so these these fun, fungi also can be airborne, right? So yep. even if you do everything right, you might still it might even be on the seed, you know? I mean, it's just Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it it happens that that sometimes transplants don't make it and it's a learning process just like everything in gardening, right? You you keep doing it. Yeah. And and well, that's then, how we uh, learn, exactly. That, yeah, it is. Yeah. That's how we learn. Cool. So, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Kari, on the seed chat. You took Bill's place tonight. Bill is in India at a global food sovereignty and seed conference at the uh, for the UN. So he's yeah, off. he's he's doing important work there. Yeah. If you are in Phoenix, we have or the Phoenix metropolitan area or even in Arizona or you want to fly in, check out greatamericanseedup.org. That is our seed bazaar that Kari Bill Bell Janice and I put on every year. This will be our 8th year of doing the Great American Seed Up. Imagine a room, 10,000 square foot room with over a hundred varieties of open pollinated seeds that you can just scoop for a screaming deal. So check out greatamericanseedup.org for that. If you don't want to come to the live event because you live in Tallahassee or Michigan or Portland, Oregon, you can go to that same website, 
as well and do your own great American seed up because we have what's called a seed up in a box. Yeah, we do. And we have information on on our blog about how to do a mini seed up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we do lots here at Urban Farm U. We do lots of education every month. And if you want to show us some love, we have a donate page where you can donate as little as, I think, five bucks, urbanfarm.org forward slash donate. Or you can join our patron program with extra perks. And that's at urbanfarm.org forward slash patron. Thank you. Thank you, Kari. My pleasure. I appreciate you being here and y'all have fun. And I will be in Phoenix this next week for our fruit tree program. And I'm intending on being there for the Great American Seed Up. So come and see me there. Thanks, Kari. Bye, y'all. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.